Welcome everyone to another episode of Web3 Disruptors. I am extremely excited to welcome Alice Chen to our podcast today. She's the co-founder and general counsel of Investex and IXSwap. Investex is a leading tokenization platform and it provides a one-stop shop for the issuance, trading and custody of security tokens. IXSwap is the DeFi liquidity pool solution for security tokens. Alice spent more than 10 years in private practice before she embarked on her entrepreneurial journey, which started in 2015. She's actively engaged in startup communities in Singapore and beyond. She was awarded the top 10 fintech leader at the 2022 Singapore Fintech Festival. Pioneering in a new industry requires her to constantly engage with regulators, policymakers, and multilateral agencies across markets. She's served as the director of special projects at Access, and she's currently the chair of the Singapore Fintech Association Digital Financing Subcommittee. And aside from being a regular guest lecturer for SMU, um, she actively promotes women through her involvement with 100 Women in Finance and is more than playing her role in mentoring and empowering the next generation of Web3 founders. So amazing, impressive bio, Alice, and so excited to have you here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. Good. So I would love to sort of dive right in and ask you to share a little bit about your journey into Web3. So how did you get into the space? Well, thanks for that really comprehensive intro. Basically gives you a little intro into my background, which is very traditional to begin with. I started as a lawyer in the U.S., moved to Asia about 16 years ago, first to Japan, then Shanghai, China. And 2015, as you mentioned, is when I started down this rabbit hole (laughs) of entrepreneurship as well as Web3. But I think from just practicing in law, I saw a lot of inefficiencies where we still use escrow because of the lack of trust. And 2015 is when we started a a traditional crowdfunding platform without blockchain. And the idea was to set out to democratize access to investments. And given my background as a real estate attorney, it was a real estate crowdfunding platform. And this is pre-blockchain. And... Though I had heard about Bitcoin in 2012, like a lot of people, I didn't pay much attention to it. I thought it's just a scam. But in 2017, when the whole ICOs took off, Mm. admittedly, I started paying attention. And then the way we looked at it and how ICOs were being conducted, we looked at it as a form of crowdfunding basically crowdfunding 2.0, using digital currencies to buy these utility tokens where you're allowed to transact millions of dollars without any central banking system. And it was was centered around this concept of community building, supporting the projects you believe in, very similar to the ethos of crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started paying 
a lot more attention to it. But back then, we security tokens and operators of security tokens didn't really belong at any of the crypto conferences. There weren't also security token only conferences back then either. So we often were probably laughed out of the room. (laughs) But we did the hard yards. We pushed on by trying to change what I considered the old school dinosaurs, the traditional banks, asset management firms, by educating them and taking the slow and steady approach by getting licensed and regulated. Some of our peers went the other route, going down the unregulated space. But all of that has led us to where we are today, being licensed in Singapore. We've held a CMS license, which is a broker-dealer license, since 2017. We've also been approved with a recognized market operator license, which took us nearly three years. We were initially in the sandbox and then exited and got our full license just last year, which allows us to operate a organized market to trade security tokens. And really out of basically sheer determination <laughs> and just keep at it that we've gotten to where we are today. Yeah, there's a, in this nascent industry, there's no one to copy. We're setting our own standards and precedents and doing a lot of world first projects. And certainly the regulatory environment must have been a challenge all within itself as things have changed quite dramatically since when you sort of entered the marketplace. Oh, yes, for sure. And certainly last year didn't didn't help, but it has put the spotlight on formulating a consistent approach for regulators around the world so that people who want to operate and be regulated and play by the rules have some clear guidance, which is good. So what's your vision for the future then? So if you think about kind of where you started out and all that you accomplished and the strength of your personal brand and obviously the professional brand with your businesses, where do you see things going? It hasn't really changed from our initial vision, right? I think we still think of tokenization as the next generation of crowdfunding and online investment technology. The traditional crowdfunding was very low tech, but what we are trying to do, it's a big ask. It's fundamentally changing the whole investment process, how things have been traditionally done, introducing new investment structures, changing the mindsets of people and how ownership can be represented, right? And I think it's hard because we've been traditionally used to incremental change. In the private markets, we've seen some improvements, DocuSign, for example, or maybe remote closing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But these are incremental, what I would like to call small changes. But what we're asking, what our ask is a big change, fundamentally changing how people buy, sell, use, and trade their private assets, real estate, art, fund interests, anything that's privately held but also trying to extract more value out of illiquid assets and also ownership rights like royalties or people's likeness, right? So things that we always think about is why shouldn't we be able to trade all of these rights just like you trade public stocks? Uh, Very easy on interactive brokers. 
We're trying to create a trusted venue and a platform where users can do exactly that with NFT securities or their fund interests, real estate, anything of value that's tokenized. Now, the good thing about private markets is that there isn't a legacy infrastructure like in the public markets. We, if anyone trades public stocks, we think it works pretty efficiently today. You can just go online, you can facilitate a trade, but there's a lot of things happening in the back end that we don't see. There's still a lot of intermediaries involved, a central depository, broker dealers, exchanges that have to reconcile still mm-hmm. manually. We're building an entire new infrastructure with no legacy components, which in my opinion, is probably easier than to replace existing legacy systems. So private markets is where we see the value. I, I think the whole concept of tokenization is perhaps one of the more interesting kind of use cases for blockchain. And certainly any conferences and things that I've attended, like there's been a really just a lot of buzz about not just tokenization, but what that means for in terms of access, actually. When you think about inclusion, in what ways do you think sort of tokenization can really help to sort of level the playing field as a concept and particularly for people who might not be as familiar with exactly what this really means in practice? Yeah, sure. Definitely inclusion is a big part of it. Crowdfunding, the traditional concept is inclusion as well, allowing those that didn't have access. And it's both ways, those that need the money and those who would like to invest, right? So issuers as well as investors who didn't have access previously. Generally, those are smaller startups that are looking for funding and matching them with investors. But traditionally, it's been limited to high net worth individuals and people who had a network already to access these opportunities. What we're trying to do is just create a platform and ability using technology to facilitate that. And, uh, you know, I think we have to go beyond, beyond just creating liquidity for illiquid assets, which is one of the things that is always touted for tokenization, but it goes beyond that. Tokenization is far more multidimensional than just purely providing liquidity for illiquid assets. Of course, it's valuable once you have the liquidity solutions, you'll have more price discovery, and perhaps the assets will represent more of the actual value of the asset, which is good ultimately for the consumers because Generally, in the private markets, they're private because you lack that transparency and information. Mm -hmm. So once you start tokenizing assets, you get more transparency. You can fractionalize assets, thereby allowing accessibility to more investors as well as issuers. And then allowing assets to the rights to those assets to be bundled and unbundled. So you can actually transfer ownership rights, you can transfer usage rights, you can transfer financial rights, right, separately or together. So sort of switching gears a little bit, but kind of related to, to, to this sort of topic around inclusion, 
one of the the things that's obviously really noticeable within the Web3 industry in particular is it's not that many female founders. And so so I think that number sits less than 15%. So certainly seeing all that you've achieved is, is no doubt inspirational to a lot of women that are really trying to kind of progress in, in the space. What would you say are some of the unique challenges that female founders are encountering in the space and what can we do to kind of overcome that? Yeah, we talk about this a lot. I speak on panels, I spoke on a, I think lots of discussions around whether this is even needed. And I think currently there's still a disparity in terms of female representation in certain industries. And this is not just Web3 or tech. It also, there's a disparity in finance and other sectors. So at a start, because we're not starting at the same baseline, these kinds of discussions still need to continue, right? These panels, female empowerment, and just, I think, mentorship as well as support from our male counterparts. Mm -hmm. This is where we are today. And hopefully we won't have to, in the future, qualify, oh, this is groups like FinTech Female Founders Group. It's just going to be a founders group. But today... That's the dream. That's the dream, right? Yeah. So so yeah, I'm a, a part of all of these different kinds of support groups, organizations, mentorship. And I guess simply, it's not really just isolated to Web3. This stereotype that women lack the knowledge or understanding in tech or finance exists across industries. And I think at a higher level, I'm at a position where I can provide some support and mentorship. And just by the simple act of doing, hopefully demonstrate that it can be done, especially given myself not having had a tech background myself to be able to enter the industry. I recall also when I was starting out as a young junior associate in private practice, it's also a male-dominated industry. I was in corporate real estate. I felt that I needed to look a certain part and I would wear pantsuits and I would dye my hair black and I would not wear makeup just so I can look the part. And I'm sure many women may feel the same going into the Web3. You might have to look dressed down or look a certain way, don't wear heels. But ultimately, I think given my time in the industry and experience, I've learned that it's a, the proof is going to be in the pudding, in your work ethic, in the value that you add to a particular project or company. So you should just be comfortable in whatever it is that makes you feel comfortable, whether it's heels or sneakers. <laughs> and so it, that should be demonstrated through your work ethic and performance and not by an appearance or your gender. Mm. That's a basic, and I try to practice that at home. Always say that inclusion starts with I. So I need to do this and set an example in front of my daughter, in front at the workplace, in the various communities that I'm a part of. And as a company, 
we tried to actively recruit more women as well to kind of help with that gender gap. It's harder for sure because of the interest level as well, right? And I think you have to maybe make a case that blockchain can be applied in multiple industries, not just in finance or supply chain or anything that may not interest you, but blockchain can have a use case in 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 fashion, for example, or art, things that may uh, appeal more to women. Yeah, you said so many things there and so many different things I wanted to kind of pick up on. So much good stuff. So one of the things that you mentioned, you sort of referenced being a non-technical founder, which I thought was quite an interesting point because I was just having this conversation with a couple of other founders at Consensus in in Austin a few weeks back. And they were sort of sharing that as non-technical founders, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that kind of crops up for them in some of the rooms where it kind of feels that their background is is very different to uh, maybe how a lot of, of other people are kind of coming up in the space. Any sort of thoughts on that related to your own experience and any tips to, to overcome imposter syndrome if it has come up for you? Yeah. I think the imposter syndrome is not just women in tech. Imposter syndrome can be in any setting where, and it probably happens maybe more, and I'm maybe generalizing here, but more women may feel that than men. I I think more women may have more self-doubt and ask, do I belong at this table than their male counterparts? And that perhaps is ingrained over time and that mindset needs to change. Personally speaking, have I had imposter syndrome? Sure. I mean, there are times, but I I don't try to pretend like I know. I'm not, I always come in here with the hat that I add value in my own respect. I add value where it comes to navigating the regulatory landscape, which is a lot of the work that we do. For a small team, we have four in-house lawyers. There's so much legal and regulatory work that's required. So I have overcome that um, perhaps syndrome by saying, this is where I play a role and everyone has a role to play in the company. And that technical side, I need to understand and have a, a, a good understanding of it, but I'm not going to go back there and do the programming and do the smart contract audits or anything like that, but I need to have a good grasp of what's happening. And that is just a matter of being on the job and understanding and being involved on a daily basis on the job learning like most of us do. So I don't think it's something that we should steer away from simply because we don't have a technical background. A company in Web3 is not just purely technical technical. Yeah. There's business, marketing, legal, regulatory, compliance, so many aspects of a business and everyone plays a role. I think that's brilliant advice. And I think effectively, you're sort of saying something that I really do fundamentally agree with, that imposter syndrome, you, you 
if you show up as yourself, there's that's sort of the surefire way to sort of eradicate it, right? Is the minute that we start trying to overcompensate or sort of pretending to know things that we don't need to know. And it's just sort of feeling really confident about what we are bringing to the table. So I, I think that was a brilliant share. Thank you. The other thing that I wanted to pick up on, Alice, was when you were describing this idea of as an organization, you actively try to bring more women into your organization. And I'd be curious to sort of know maybe what you're doing as an organization to really sort of facilitate that, because I see, obviously, I'm in the talent space and we sort of certainly lend a lot towards the diversity side. And I see companies do this really well. And some organizations really struggle. And for me, it's about the commitment and the intent, regardless of the pipeline, that talent does exist. But it's about really how intentional the organizations are about really following through on on the commitments around it. Yeah, that is also a topic that we frequently have with other founders. There's definitely a generational gap (laughs) or difference between the mindsets of maybe my generation and the younger Gen Zs. (laughs) We've seen this. I spoke on a panel recently for International Women's Day where they conducted research around this. And they've said that what may have motivated us in the past in terms of a clear career progression or trajectory isn't something that motivates the younger generations today right? What are they motivated by? Not climbing the corporate ladder. It's really, Mm. what are they passionate about? What's going to create that job satisfaction? It's culture, doing something interesting and innovative, following something that they believe and doing something that they actually think will add value to society that's in line with their values. And a lot more, I think, younger generation are paying attention to things that will impact their future, like climate and environmental issues. So that, when I was probably uh, in my 20s, that was not something that was a motivating factor for me. It was always about, if I go to this law I will end up with this big law firm job, and one day I will make the salary and become partner It was a very clear trajectory for me. Today, I don't think the younger generations need to know where am I going to be in 10 years time, but it's what's going to matter to me today. Am I happy doing what I'm doing today? Am I feeling like I'm adding value today? And so long story short, going back to your question, how do we do that? How do we encourage more people to join? Hopefully, We attract people that carry the same values and work ethic and culture as we do that are truly passionate about the space. And I think right now, everyone on the team really believes in the mission that we're trying to execute. So if they don't believe that tokenization is the future, then it's probably not going to work out, right? And so, and also we're very in tune with, I think, the work environment today, Mm. work from home, flexible schedule. If you want to work with a startup, clearly you want to have some of the startup benefits, which is a more, we don't care where or how you work. 
just so long as you get it done. You don't have mm-hmm. to go into the office every day. But yeah, those are, and hopefully that naturally will recruit people who share the same vision and values as the rest of the company. Yeah, a lot of that resonates for me. And I completely agree around this sense of purpose, like more so than any other generation, people are purpose-driven. And I think there's a real opportunity within blockchain for people to understand exactly the potential and and the good that blockchain can do. And I'm not always entirely sure from a narrative and industry-wide that people really understand that. And so you'll often find people kind of voting with their feet and going into sort of different industries where, you know, that some of that purpose is maybe a little bit more apparent. But I think there's people really understand perhaps the transformative nature and what that can do from a societal point of view, I think will get more people kind of jumping feet first into the industry. Yes. In fact, you just reminded me of a talk that I gave at Singapore FinTech Festival. I was invited to speak at Founders Peak to share my story. And then this just highlighted another topic you mentioned earlier about imposter syndrome. I actually questioned whether I belonged on that stage to share my story because I hadn't had the exit. We're not a billion dollar unicorn yet. Do I belong on the stage? And then I was kind of thinking maybe a, a little bit of that imposter syndrome kicked in, but I overcame that. And part of the reason I said, why do I belong on the stage is exactly what you said. And exactly the same reason that I hope people join our company because they believe in the transformative value that, and this profound sense of satisfaction that we get for doing and laying the breadcrumbs for what may be the foundations of a new financial system, right? And yeah. this, I didn't get that myself. Somebody else, I, I did another podcast and this interviewer said, you guys are laying the breadcrumbs, right? And so when I get that sense, profound sense of satisfaction, it is what keeps me going. And I think it is what keeps the rest of my team going as well. Of course, they can get much higher paying jobs working at big financial institutions. But you also know there's been an exodus from traditional banks because it's not keeping the interest level there. They're not doing Mm -hmm. things that we're doing, creating new financial instruments and doing world first projects and kind of setting our own precedents and paving the way. So that hopefully is a draw and an attraction for people to want to join firms like ours. A hundred percent. And so I love how your sort of passion as you kind of describe that moment too, and sort of, I guess, kind of as we're wrapping up, ending on a high, what would you say is, has been the most transformative moment for you during your journey in Web3? I think there's been so many stories, so many noteworthy moments, some good, some bad, but a lot of positives, which I have personally gained just from working in the space, learning every day, uh, the ability to look at issues differently, to be challenged every day, never be told it can't be done and finding creative ways to solve, solve problems. But I, I think. For me, this 
is a first startup for me. And entrepreneurship really means breaking the mold and doing something out of your comfort zone, which I'm doing, (laughs) and hopefully showing others that it can be done, right? Doing something for the first time, going against conventional wisdom. The fact that I decided to start this journey, my first business with my husband as well in a nascent industry, and we're still married, by the way. (laughs) That's something. (laughs) So, So hopefully this can be something that people can point to and say, no matter how impossible it may appear that if I can do it, you can do it as well. But as as back to your question, what specific moments have I had? I think one is the recognition from the community and the industry that you mentioned. I won the top 10 fintech awards at the Singapore Fintech Festival last year. And also just being able to share my story at Founders Peak and doing some of these world first projects. One of the one of the highlights was being able to go down this path with the support of the regulators here. The Monetary Authority of Singapore gave us a grant to tokenize a fund structure, the very, very new fund structure called the variable Singapore Variable Capital Company. And we did that along with UBS, State Street, and PwC. And it was a world first where we put this fund structure in a blockchain native form. No paper representation, just a blockchain registry. And the the nine-month journey to producing 140-page paper, which showcased our findings, was very satisfying. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And so that was another very memorable event. But I think for a lot of founders, it's, I think, this innate desire to constantly explore. And I spoke about this at at Founders Peak. It's ingrained or it's we're born with this innate desire as explorers, voyagers, inventors. And it's a significant part of why founders like myself grind it out for so long. It's not for the, it's not for the pay. Of course, mm-hmm. hopefully there will be an exit at some point or that we leave this legacy. This is something that I also, yeah. uh, that also inspires me. It, this is, these are some of the reasons we do what we do. Yeah. But it's interesting when just as you were kind of walking through that a little bit, and even as you made the joke about still being married, I started to think about this has been the wildest ride over the last, even in the last 12 months. And I'm sure that you have kind of felt that at various different moments. How have you coped with running a business and being responsible for others and kind of staying true to your vision with so much chaos and so much kind of uncertainty? Has it, have you ever sort of had those moments of what are we doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if any startup founder tells you differently, they're probably lying. And this actually brings me to, I think Brian Armstrong from Coinbase recently did an interview, which really resonated with me. And something along the lines of the media tends to portray a lot of startups 
become successful overnight, right? And he reminded everyone that's generally not the case. You don't see all of the sweat and tears that goes behind it, the struggles and oftentimes running out of money to get to maybe the next billion dollar stage, right? It's hard, but rewarding at the same time for founders. And maybe it takes a little bit of, I don't know, crazy. (laughs) (laughs) We're a bit crazy at times. But I think it's this, uh, again, innate desire. And I've never experienced this, obviously, up until now. Like, why would anyone sign up for this? (laughs) The up and down, the roller coaster ride. But I'm still here. I'm still married, like you said. I'm still (laughs) working with my partner. Uh, Something is keeping me here for a reason. I find it so, I guess, enjoyable to be paving my own path and to be pushing boundaries and to be setting our own precedents that it's, and most of our team, and we, again, coming back to the question you spoke about earlier, how do we do that with the younger generations? I think that is what is keeping us all here today and keeping us together today as a team, because we're all after that same vision and mission and belief. So yeah. 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 I don't know if I have a better answer than that. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it's a perfect answer, particularly that last part about you got to have a tiny little bit of crazy to go on these journeys. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but so, listen, I could literally speak to you all night. You've been so generous in kind of sharing your wisdom and your journey. And I've no doubt that our listeners and particularly the women that are trying to advance in the space will be kind of really inspired by some of the things that you've that you have shared today as we sort of wrap up can you tell us what are you sort of excited about what are you working on over over the coming months what should we look out for and where can people find you and kind of continue to follow your incredible story and your organization Yeah, I I just realized I haven't talked so much about the business aspect of things. We're quite excited about, well, we just got our Bahamas license for our sister entity, iXWAP. And on that platform, it's truly bridging the gap between traditional finance and, and DeFi in what we call allowing people to have a user friendly and regulated way to access DeFi in the back end. So iSwap is really the first AM, automated market maker for security tokens. Essentially allows anyone with a security token to create their own liquidity pool in a crowdsourced way. And it's just never been done before. So we're very excited to launch that along with the launch pad that uh, is coming online soon with all types of interesting projects. And I think in terms of partnerships, IceSwap is meant to plug into any security token broker, dealers, exchanges. And one of the first exchanges that it'll plug into is the licensed exchange here in Singapore. So, yeah, those are a couple of things that Very I'm cool. excited about. Yeah. And in terms of people kind of knowing where to sort of find you and sort of, I guess, sort of follow follow your journey and follow some of these updates from your organization, where's the be- what are the best channels? 
oh, well, pretty easy. You can go to investax.io, ixswap.io, and I'm on LinkedIn um, okay. as well as Twitter. Perfect. Great. Well, we will make sure to include in these show notes how people can find you and the the links to, to your various different organizations. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for sharing so generously. And to our listeners, we are excited to bring you another episode next week. Great. Thank you. Thanks for Thanks. having me. Thank you.